Hello and welcome to Paleo Cinema Podcast 180. My name is Terry Frost and this time around I'm looking at a couple of French-Italian co-production crime films, uh, both directed by the same guy, Henri Vanille, and they are The Sicilian Clan from 1969 starring Jean Gabon, Alain Delon and Lina Ventura. Then we go to 1971 for a kick-ass action film. The Burglars, also known as La Casse, and that stars Jean-Paul Belmondo, Omar Sharif, and Diane Cannon. They're both really great crime thrillers. They're both fantastically well done, and they're worth your time. So sit back, I'll get the contact details out of the way, and we'll start talking movies. Paleo Cinema Podcast is a fortnightly podcast of classic movie appreciation. The rules are pretty simple. The movie has to be at least 20 years old, and I have to like it. Now, you can leave feedback via MP3 or email to cultguru at gmail.com. That's K-U-L-T-G-U-R-U, which would be appreciated. You can also leave a review on iTunes, but please send me an email when you do so I can check it out. You can also go to the Paleo Cinema Cafe on Facebook and like that page if you want updates. This podcast may contain naughty words and adult concepts, so if you don't want to do a lot of explaining to small children, listen to it with your headphones on. Hey, cinephiles. Um, yeah, it's a very, very hot day here in Melbourne at the moment. Uh, up around 40 degrees. I've got the air conditioning on. Um, I'm dressed lightly. I'm keeping my liquids up. And the day is beautifully sunny with a featureless blue sky, which is pretty cool. I, I like this kind of weather. It is very hot, but on the other hand, I'm generating my own power, as I've mentioned before in the podcast, so I can crank up the AC be comfortable, hit the espressos, keep the liquids going apart from the espressos and just have a good time here talking about a couple of really good films. Yes, I know it's the second time in a row that I've talked about a Jean-Paul Belmondo movie, but one leads to the other in my mind and I thought that The Sicilian Clan and The Burglars were a good pairing. They're both uh, directed, as I said, by Henri Vanille and uh, they are really entertaining and that's one of the things i've seen action films with spectacular stunts 21st century ones i'm talking about that were kind of yeah the technically they were fantastic but they didn't really engage and they weren't as much fun as these two films of course this these movies predate cg special effects they star incredibly charismatic actors they were oddly enough both made in both English and French versions because there were uh, deals done with movie studios in America. So the movies were basically made twice once with English dialogue and once with French dialogue, which is kind of cool. But anyway, it's time to talk about the stuff I've been watching. There have only been really two films I want to talk about that I've watched since the last time I did a podcast. The first one is kind of gruesome in an odd way. Uh, it's a movie that you see to see old film actors just before they died. And it is Wonton Ton, The Dog That Saved Hollywood, which stars Bruce Dern, Art Carney and Madeleine Kahn. Uh, it was directed by Michael Winner, an English director whose personal life was incredibly selfish. And the virtue of this film and the thing that's the kind of draw card for it is it's got like 40 or 50 old time Hollywood stars at the end of their lives and at the end of their careers it's got people like Johnny Weissmuller in it and Miller's in it um, just if you have a look at the IMDB for Wonton Tong The Dog That Saved Hollywood which by the way is not a very good film you'll see who was in it, and it's just like a name list of everybody who was alive in Compass at the time this movie was made living in Hollywood. Uh, it's kind of, for that reason, a film for film buffs, but not a good film nonetheless. Uh, they do have car crashes with vintage cars, which is kind of, you know, you cringe when you think, okay, well, they're going to have to do a lot of work to fix that one. And it's just not very good at all. Bruce Dern and Madeleine Kahn and Art Carney do their best with what they have, but they don't have a lot. The other movie I'm going to talk about is an Australian film I want to recommend. Liz Travaskas and I did it for ABC Local Radio Darwin last week. 
And oddly enough, it's a movie called Last Cab to Darwin, which is kind of based on a true story. It's it's, uh, briefly about 15 years ago, the Northern Territory had a euthanasia law so that people could legally, under certain circumstances, with the agreement of a psychologist and an oncologist or a specialist in their kind of terminal disease, access euthanasia. And two people successfully did that before the federal Liberal Party coalition government put in federal laws that overruled the state laws because of religious reasons and to keep a senator from Tasmania called Brian Harradine, who was a very staunch Catholic, happy. But this one stars Michael Caton, Jackie Weaver, and Neely Lawford-Wolf, who's a friend of a friend of mine, oddly enough. I've got one degree of separation from her. The story's pretty simple. It's about a guy called Rex, who's a cab driver in Broken Hill, out in the west of New South Wales. Uh, he's 70 years old. He has a relationship of sorts with an Indigenous woman who lives across the street. And he finds out that the stomach cancer he thought they'd got rid of has come back and he has about three months to live. So Rex uh, lives by himself. He's got a few mates down at the pub. And he decides that what he's going to do is drive 3,000 kilometres across the centre of Australia to Darwin so that he can be a test case for this euthanasia law. Jackie Weaver plays the doctor and Ningley Lawford Wolf plays the love interest Polly and it's a a kind of interesting film it's a road trip in one way uh, going across from Broken Hill across the Udenadana track to the Stewart Highway and then up through Alice Springs and uh, Daly Waters and up to Darwin's a beautiful drive and the film crew did that they filmed in sequence and they did it all across the centre of Australia so it's visually a beautiful film uh, it's, as I said, a road trip. It's a romance. It's also got some sociological sides to it, talking about the right to die. And it's really uh, an interesting film, directed by Jeremy Sims, who used to be on television, but has now become quite a good stage and film director. He did another movie that I haven't caught up with, but I'm going to catch up with, called Last Train to Frio, which was filmed in Perth around Fremantle. So I'm looking forward to doing that. But I picked up the Blu-ray of Last Cab to Darwin, and it's a fucking good movie. I've got no qualms about it. One of the roles is is kind of not as well written as the others, but it does address all sorts of things like um, indigenous dispossession in Australia and what that's like for a young man and for an older woman. So there are a couple of different characters in there where that plays out. It's about the legacy of the past in Australia. It's about a man coming to terms with his life at the end of it. Uh, it's a bit weepy at times. It's very funny in other parts, but I really recommend Last Cap to Darwin. I think we need more Australian movies like this, and we need people overseas to see them as well because they're stories. They're our stories, they're the story of our past and our present, and it's really top stuff, and I, I really enjoyed watching it. Uh, and Liz and I talked about it and oddly enough Liz's husband Adam Steer plays one of the journalists in the film as well so we had a little bit of a laugh about the journalists because the other one's played by Richard Margotson another uh, Northern Territory ABC guy with whom I've had a chat and I've met as well and um, they got these two ABC journalists to play journos in the movie so that was quite fun and uh, I had the pleasure of telling Liz that Adam now has his own IMDb page there's only one credit on it but he was quite chuffed when he found out that he does have a page on IMDb now. But uh, I really, that movie was, I can't recommend highly enough. Uh, hopefully it'll turn up on Netflix in America and North America and, and elsewhere. But at the moment it's on DVD and Blu-ray in Australia and, and it will turn up on cable TV channels. I really enjoy the film and I can't speak highly enough about it. Okay, so I'm going to take a break now. When I get back, I'm going to talk about The Sicilian Clan, a French-Italian co-production crime film directed, as I said, by Henri Verneau and starring Jean Gabon, Alain Delon and Lino Ventura. Every industry has its first family. Every industry has its first family. In crime... It is the Sicilian clan. (laughs) 
Sicilian clan is gearing up for the most fantastic robbery in the history of suspense. there's not much dialogue in that trailer I thought I'd play it for the wonderful uh, music of Ennio Morricone the arrangements were by Bruno Nicolai as indeed were the ones for The Burglars, the second movie I'm going to talk about, but I really like these two soundtracks, I like the one for The Burglars, I like the one for The Sicilian Clan, I like them more than I like his spaghetti western ones like The Good, The Bad and The Ugly and, and those kind of things, these ones really kind of work for me a lot better, they're simpler in some ways they're not as show-offy and they're really effective in the context of the movies in which they appear the Sicilian Clan was a very successful movie when it came out both in uh, America and in Europe as well uh, John Gabon had been a star in movies for a good 30 years when this film came out and this is the older kind of stocky of Gabon but with an incredible presence and he plays Vittorio Manalese the head of the Sicilian clan which is a family who of criminals really uh, there's Vittorio his wife and his kids and they um, his wife isn't very much into it but he, his sons are they run a pinball and amusement machine repaired in Paris. Uh, Vittorio's got a long criminal history, as we find out later in the film, when he meets up with an old friend of his, Tony Nicosia, played by um, Amadio Nazari. And uh, they kind of get together after 30 years of not seeing each other, and that's quite fun. And they look at an alternative method of carrying out the caper. But I'm getting a bit ahead of myself with this. The movie starts with a previous caper that the Sicilian clan are doing, and that is to break out a police killer called Roger Sarté from prison. He's just being sentenced by a magistrate, and the magistrate goes over his criminal history. And in a very well-organised caper, the um, Sicilian clan arrange for Sarté to get escape from a prison van traveling through Paris. Now I'm not going to spoil how that happens but it's beautifully well done the tension's ramped up nicely as with all of Vinay's films the cinematography, is, cinematography and editing are fantastic cinematographer for this one was a guy called Henri Decay who was also the cinematographer on Jean-Pierre Melville's Le Samurai and he did a bunch of other um, kind of interesting films as well, some really unusual ones like he did Bobby Deerfield the Al Pacino movie for instance and Truffaut's The 400 Blows a very good cinematographer and the editing is just precise it's one of those caper things where as Sarti's um, escaping from prison we know exactly what's happening at every moment they cross cut to the guard in the prison van who's outside those tiny little pokey cells they have in prison vans to keep the prisoners separate and that's actually quite useful to Sati in his attempt to escape. And it's a really nicely done little piece right at the start of the film. And it sets up a few things. It sets up how professional the Sicilian clan is. It sets up that Sati is competent. And it sets up the fact that the police commissaire, Legoff, played by Lino Ventura, a very fine... Uh, Italian-born French actor 
uh, playing the copper who walks around with an unlit cigarette in his mouth because he's given up smoking and he can't quite give up putting cigarettes in his mouth. And as things progress, he does uh, kind of backpedal on his smoking. But uh, Lynn Aventura is really an interesting character actor. He acted with pretty much everybody who was famous in acting at the time. He had a long career and was very well regarded. He had a child with a disability, so he started a disability charity in the 1960s called Snowdrop, which is still going to this day. And um, people who know French film and who know the French charity scene have nothing but good things to say about Lino Ventura. And he is both amusing and tough in this movie as well and he holds his own very much against Gabon they have a number of scenes together and they play off each other really nicely so Manalese has broken Sati out of prison and Sati comes to him with the idea for a caper to steal some a jewelry display uh, it's a big jewelry kind of exhibition of all the best jewelers in the world uh, they have Cartier they have all these different ones but um and as it happens, Sati was in prison with the guy who designed the alarm system. That particular guy whom Sati befriended drew the plans for the alarm system for him. So what happens is Madalese and Tony Nicosia, his friend from New York, meet up in Rome where the display is and case the joint, basically. They go into the exhibition they thoroughly look it over they then go into a toy shop to discuss it because they've got to buy toys for their grandchildren and there's a beautiful scene there where they talk about why things won't work and on the hop while they're standing in a toy store which has got some very wonderful toys in it they come up with an alternative plan the exhibition is going to New York so they decide what they're going to do is hijack the plane on which the jury is going to New York. And in a really imaginative and wonderful um, part of the caper, which does have some ropey special effects in it, but nonetheless is wonderfully audacious, they plan to hijack the plane on its way to New York. They fly it past New York, which is a bit scary. A hijacked plane flying close to New York City has different resonances for us, of course. And they landed on a highway being built so they basically landed on a um, construction site highway and take the jewelry off there which is a, a wonderfully kind of ambitious caper not only for the criminals but for a movie of that time as well the, the special effects of doing that are problematic uh, the, the plane they hijacked is a DC-8, but they didn't actually land a DC-8 on a highway. They landed a much smaller plane to get the camera shots they needed of a plane landing on there, and then they kind of cut in bits of the DC-8 later on. But the movie is wonderful. The first time you see Gabon, he's in his factory, and he comes down this little freight lift wearing an impeccable suit, and you know that this guy's in control of what he does. He's, he has a gravitas about him and a kind of ruthlessness about him. He's very indulgent to his grandson. He's one of those kind of old-school mafiosi who play things carefully and play it smart and don't get caught. And it's only when he breaks out of that rule of not playing it smart that things go tits up for him. Now, the other side of this is Sartre, played by Alain Delon, who was a very much a, a famous actor at the time, very highly regarded. Um, now, there's an interesting thing about Alain Delon at the time this movie was made. He was involved in what became known in France as the Markovic Affair. The, one of his bodyguards, Stefan Markovic, was found dead, causing his brother to start a feud with Alain Delon and his friends, one of whom was the French president at the time, Georges Pompidou. Delon, I'll read this from Wikipedia. Delon and his long-standing friend... Um, Francoise Marcantoni were questioned by police immediately after the murder. Marcantoni was originally charged for the murder, but after questioning by the police, he was released. Later, the drama continued when supposedly inappropriate photos of Madame Pompidou were found. The commissioner, Amé Blanc, who was involved in obtaining the photos, stated that the photos were planted by old Gaulist clans who had a long-term tension against Pompidou. Now, one of the things about... Um, 
Alain Delon in that context is. Alain Delon was one of those actors of the time, and it happens now with actors as well, who liked hanging out with criminals. He kind of wanted to be a big, tough guy, and he did that by hanging out with well-known Parisian criminals. In fact, there's a book recently published about this called Le Mystères Delon, uh, which was banned in France because Alain Delon didn't like it, but it shows that he may have had more involvement in that crime than things first appeared, and they kind of look into the fact that Alain Delon hang around, hung around with crims, kind of like the way certain British actors of the 1960s used to hang around with the Cray brothers. That kind of... Um, masculine compensation let's say for perceived or actual inadequacies let's put it that way but um, one of the reasons why this is probably not one of Delon's best roles is he was involved in the Markovich affair at the time and had a lot of other stuff on his plate when uh, this movie was being made so there's a reason why Delon comes off as third best in that trio of him, Jean Gabon and Lino Ventura so the takeaway lesson from this movie is if you're an actor, don't hang out with criminals. You're going to be hanging out with agents. You're going to be hanging out with publicity people. If you want to hang out with people who are morally dubious, they're probably going to be enough for you. So the movie basically is breaking Sati out of jail and then the setup for and execution and aftermath of hijacking this plane full of expensive diamonds, emeralds, pearls and jewellery from uh, uh, on its way to New York. One of the there are a lot of cool things about this film which kind of you wouldn't have in a film nowadays. For a start you can smuggle guns onto a plane, which you know not really gonna happen that much now. Secondly, fake passports are able to be procured and indeed um kidnapping somebody and using their identity to hide uh, the fact that all of the police in the world are looking for Sati at the time. And that almost makes the, the plan go wrong when the man who's kidnapped's wife turns up saying that she was planning to go to New York with him and um, asking questions and stirring things up, which means that Manalese has to try to kind of... pull. He pulls a couple of things that almost work in convincing everybody that... Um, the man on the aeroplane, whose name is Evans, is not Sati, but is actually the Mr. Evans who was supposed to be on the aeroplane. So there's that kind of tension in there as well. There's the tension of the fact that um, Sati's sister is the person who arranged for him to be broken out of prison by the Manalese gang. And she's being watched like a hawk by all the coppers, including Lino Ventura, who gets a couple of good scenes there. So that's one complication we've got. The other complication is that Sati has an affair with the daughter of Madalese, Jean, played by um, Irina Demick. And so that complicates things as well when it's discovered that he had this affair. And, of course, being a Sicilian father um, whose son has been cockolded by one of his business associates, things aren't going to end well there as well. And uh, Madalese takes steps to curtail Sati's future in a number of ways so you've got those complications in there as well the film the film has a lot of really nice character touches and action sequences there's the character touch that Madalese is planning to retire soon and has been buying up plots of land in Sicily to retire on in fact he's got a map on his office wall colouring in the plots of land that he's been able to purchase because of his criminal activities for his final retirement to Sicily and you get the impression from the way Gabon plays it and the way it's written that this is another way of kind of Manalese playing games he's not really going to retire he enjoys the thrill of the game and he the retirement's more a dream than a reality and it's you know his wife even questions it saying don't you have enough land already and uh, there's that kind of conceit that somebody with the kind of qualities of Vittorio Manalese is able to retire to a 
uh, rural life in a very kind of economically depressed area of southern Italy, or well, an island off the coast of southern Italy, in fact. And um, so there's that aspect of things as well, which make it really interesting. There's also an action sequence when the cops almost catch up with Sati, and he manages to escape from the hotel where he's sleeping with a prostitute. And it's this movie, and and in fact the burglars as well, more the burglars in this film, has little bits of business as far as the action sequences are concerned that are later pinched by other more well-known movies. There's a really good jump from the window of one apartment into a, and the window of another slightly lower apartment across the alley, which people might remember from the first Born, I think the Born Identity. They do that in the Born Identity, but it was done first in this film, and it's done really well. There's some lovely stunt work in in both of these movies, which is mind-blowingly good and not in any way fake the way it would be now. There were wires and CG and things like that. People actually did the stunts. You also got the fact that old-school crims like Madalese and his friend um, Tony Nicosia have a lot of style. They're very cool. They're very methodical. They're not impatient. They're willing to buy their time. They're willing to modify plans, whereas Sati's a hothead with no patience at all and selfish and even though he's a, a very good-looking man, he's not the kind of... You know, he's a man that kind of experienced women would see as danger and would very much avoid. There are a few little nude scenes around there. There's one with the photographer who's doing the photographs for the fake passports, which is quite fun, and also the woman that um, Sati's sleeping with. So you've got that kind of, not gratuitous, but in-context nudity that we get in uh, 1960s, 1970s action films. So overall, this Ascendant Clan really works for a number of reasons. One, the direction is incredibly competent. It's at that kind of level of professionalism, where even if you're just making something which is a, a crime flick, there's a real sense that these guys know what they're doing. And they're more than a little bit familiar with the criminal scene. In fact, the movie was based on a novel by uh, Auguste Le Breton, who also wrote um, Rafifi, amongst other things, Bob Le Flambeau. Uh, he did the... Well, the Good Thief is, in 2002, is based on Bob Le Flambeau as well. And uh, Le Breton's kind of... I've got a couple of novels of his that I've read, and they're really nice, even in translation, they're really nice little crime novels. They're a little hard to find now. In fact, I've got a copy of Le Breton's Rafifi in New York, novel which i haven't read for a while i'm going to revisit that uh, just looking up at the shelves there are so many movie-based um novels and works that i've really got to get around to but real life and the xbox do interfere and watching movies as well interfere with my reading time unfortunately but uh one day i'll get to them but just to finalize all the trio works really well you've got the cool professional crim gabon's Madalese. Who, um, it's not entirely different from a number of other roles Jean Gabon did, but he did them so well that you just kind of accept it. And um, he, you know, he's got a, there's a subtle humour running through his Madalese, which I really like as well. Then you've got um, Lina Ventura playing the cop and playing it very well. Lina Ventura, I'm going to have to find more of movies with him in it because he is really cool in this film. And even though he's kind of a squat, slightly boarding cop he does have a lot of style about him he, he is a very much a good balance for gabon in this film and then you've got um Sarté played by alain delon who basically is a hothead idiot pretty much from what i understand the way mr delon was in real life to a certain extent so and then of course you've got the story which really works the uh, Escape from Prison gives us an action scene at the start of the film. You've got the um, little bits of business all through the middle of the film, which work really well. The Nicosia and Madalese going to Rome to case the joint for the robbery and then deciding not to. That's a lovely little central piece of the film. Then you've got the hijacking of the aeroplane and everything that leads up to that as the capping bed at the end of the film. And they all work really well, and there's a nice little ending to the film as well, which I'm not going to spoil, though you can possibly guess the kind of nature of it. And, um, yeah, it, it's, it really does work well. Uh, 
1960s Eurocrime movies are fantastically rich vein to entertain yourself with. And I highly encourage anybody to do it. There are a couple of versions of the Sicilian clan that are on YouTube, depending on which language you speak. There's one English one, I think, with Egyptian subtitles, maybe. But you're probably better off, if you look around places like eBay and that, you'll be able to find DVD copies of this fairly cheaply, which is what I did. I used some of the Patreon money to pick up the copy of this film, and I don't regret it at all. It's a really nice crime drama. It's a little more accessible than some Eurocrime movies because it was made in an English-language version, which I watched, uh, in parallel with the French-language version, as indeed happened with The Burglars. Uh, and it's a really solid crime flick, and the characters are, are vivid and interesting. You've got a bit of nudity, you've got um, betrayal, love, gunplay, hijacking. You've got um, cape, two capers, in fact, uh, bookending the whole film. And it's really good fun. I mean, it's one of those movies that, after seeing a whole bunch of modern films, you can go back and go, yeah, they did this right here. And I think there's something being lost or maybe not picked up at all in some modern adventure films. And um, The Sicilian Clan's worth revisiting. If you haven't seen it for a long time, check it out again. If you have never seen it, good, because you're going to be um, watching a really interesting piece of cinema. So I'm going to take another break now, and when I go back, we're going into a much more kinetic action film, the 1971 The Burglars, also known as La Casse, starring Jean-Paul Belmondo, Omar Sharif, and Diane Cannon. Keep up with this kind of action. Then catch the burglars. Omar Sharif. Jean-Paul Belmondo. Diane Cannon. The burglars. Action like no movie ever caught before. Catch the Burglars. Rated PG. The Burglars is a 1971 Eurocrime movie starring Jean-Paul Belmondo, Omar Sharif and Diane Cannon. Though Diane Cannon's got a kind of role that could have been played by any starlet of the 1960s. It really is kind of... She doesn't add too much to it, which is probably not her fault, but more the fault of the underwritten role she's got. But leaving that aside, it's a really nice little crime flick. There's a brief synopsis from the BFI website that says, Azad, played by Jean-Paul Belmondo, and his accomplices steal emeralds worth a quarter of a million pounds from the safe of a wealthy Greek man. But they have to remain in Athens for a few days while the boat for their getaway is being repaired. They're getting away on a, a kind of um, a steamer ship even though the police are close behind them. And the police are played, in this case, by Omar Sharif as Abel Zakaria, who's a, a chief of police and as insane as any, of the other, as any of the criminals. In fact, he is a criminal, but he just happens to be a policeman as well. So the movie starts with uh, a really nice safe-cracking sequence, which has no real dialogue in it. It's kind of like a little nod to Rafifi while being a 1970s-style heist, which means that um, Belmondo's character, Azad, carries a suitcase into the building, and inside the suitcase is an X-ray gun that enables him to see the com the safe's um, serial number through the wall of the safe. It's got a little video screen on it. They've got a punch card computer that runs a key cutter to enable him to get a key cut the key that the safe is keyed to there's a workshop bench and a reference library all in the suitcase it'll all be done with a, a laptop and, an, and probably 3d printing now but for 1971 it's very cool and high-tech gear and it's got that kind of retro wonderfulness about it with um, azad marking numbers on a little key on a little punch card and then having the 
machine punches the holes in the card and he puts the card in another part and then that then runs the key cutter to cut the special keys used in the safe. Really interesting stuff. And uh, Belmondo, with his wonderfully working-class face, plays this really well. In fact, Jean-Paul Belmondo, you could use that cliche about him, the hardest-working man in movies. And the reason is he did a lot of his own stunts in this film. And there are at least two stunts that are bug-fuck crazy and you would not be allowed to have a major star do them these days. It's just totally over the top. So soon after they do the um, robbery... Zakaria, the policeman, having spoken to the man whose emeralds were stolen, played by an interesting actor called Robert Hussain, um, decides at 10% finder's fee that he kind of cuts as a private deal with the man whose jewels are stolen. Isn't enough. He wants the whole lot. So he's going to go after the criminals himself and basically steal the emeralds for himself. And there's a great scene, a very prolonged one, a car chase through the streets of Athens, which goes on for about 20 minutes, but it's fascinatingly good. The reason is that the action sequences were filmed and, um, not directed, but done by the greatest car stunt company in the history of cinemas, and that's, of course, Equip Remy Julien. Remy Julien and his people did the car stunts in this film, and they are fantastic. They're... They don't use fancy, fast sports cars. They just use kind of ordinary, beaten-up, slightly old sedans. I think they're Renaults or Citroëns or something like that. They're not Citroëns, but they're those kind of small sedans. And they go to town with them. There's one scene where the car being driven by Azad goes down the steps of a pedestrian underpass, through the underpass, and back up the steps at the other side to get out of traffic. And... It's fantastically well done. They kind of knock over, they cause to be knocked over a whole bunch of oil barrels and then they have to skid on a steep slope down a street slick with oil. Um, the, the car sequences in this are over the top, incredibly over the top, of course, and, and ridiculously over the top, but nonetheless crazily entertaining. The car chase sequence keeps you going for the full however long it is kind of in the same way that Bullet did and I think they were trying to outdo Bullet without the muscle cars and you could argue the point that they may well have succeeded in that it's just a wonderfully kinetic crazy and you've got to remember these are physical stunts done in the cars themselves there's no CG there's no faking it these are all done genuinely in um, a really over the top and clinically insane why it's it's just amazing how good the car stunts are in this film the cinematography in the flick is done by claude renoir the grandson of pierre auguste renoir the painter uh he does a really nice job of it here there's there are a couple of sequences in this film that are crazy and the movie basically the whole movie is in a lot of ways crazy uh the reason i say that is there's a prolonged strip club sequence where the strip club has to pretend not to be a strip club in case the cops come in which um azad is very much enjoying the show because um it's a kind of op art pop art strip club scene which is kind of has not a lot to do with the rest of the film though there are a little couple of links to some of the action but it's mostly there as filler but it's entertaining filler there's a lot of this film that's filler the the car chase sequence for instance is filler because it's it's over the top and crazy and um really while not strictly necessary it's just the way they get azad to meet zakaria the cop played by omar sharif to do that, they have a 20-minute car chase between the two characters before they actually meet. But you can forgive this. This movie is purely an entertainment. It's not designed to be anything more than that. It's not designed to be any better than that. But what it does, it does very well, and it's very much got a sense of what it is. Uh, the story is based on a novel by David Goods called The Burglar, which was also made, and I don't know how true either of these adaptations are, it was previously made as The Burglar in 1957. 
starring Dan Durier, Jane Mansfield and Martha Vickers, which I may have seen but I don't remember seeing. I'm going to have to track down a copy of The Burglar just for completeness sake and watch that. Um, I'm not sure that this movie stays anywhere near the plot of the original, but it just uses it as something to hang the film off. It's the nail in the wall that they hang the whole thing on rather than being the whole thing itself. Rama Sharif has a good time too playing Zakari. He's playing the bad guy um, in this one and kind of really does have a great time. There's a good sequence of him sitting down and having a meal in a Greek restaurant with Azad, played by Jean-Paul Belmondo, which is basically an education in Greek food. It tells you what domades are, it tells you what moussaka is, it kind of... They even have a little montage of them cooking the food in the restaurant, which I don't know whether it was a way to get a contra deal from the restaurant or not, but it does show that this movie is a really weird little artefact. It's... Neither fish nor fowl. It's not a comedy. It's it's not a serious drama. But it's both of those things. It's an action movie. It's it, it just kind of purely and, and in the most wonderful sense of it, it's an entertainment. And I love movies that do that really well. I don't care that it's not deep, but I care that the fact that the people in it are good and charismatic. I care the fact that the people making it are crazily professional and have made a film that's not like any other before it. So, you know, it's a joy to watch these kind of films like this one and the Sicilian clan. Now, Vernet, I should talk about the director, Henri Vernet. Interesting guy. His parents were living in Turkey when he was born after the Armenian Genocide. You might want to look into the history of the Armenian Genocide. It's one of the bits of 20th century history that's been brushed over egregiously by for various reasons. And uh, it really does bear um, some... Regard. If you want to go over to WTF, the podcast that Mark Marin does, Eric Bogosian has written a history of the Armenian Genocide, which apparently is very good. And he talks about it on the podcast with Mark Marin. It's one of the recent episodes, so you'll be able to get it for nothing. And it just shows you how monstrous that part of history was and how, unfortunately... Um, we're not as familiar with it as we are with other genocides of the 20th century, which is not to say that one's better than the other or there's any agenda there, but it's just that this one really has been brushed under the carpet and there's been official denial from all sorts of different governments, which is not to their credit. And there are still governments in denial about that genocide 100 years later. So Vinay, um went to France as a child, with his parents, they were refugees, and grew up as a, as a Frenchman. He made a number of films. If you have a look through his filmography, there's some wonderful stuff there. I'm tracking down more of Vinay films because I just want to see what he's got and see um, if the other films hold up as well as The Burglars and The Sicilian Clan. I suspect they're different films, but I suspect they will as well. The guy's got a wonderful touch as a director and does the job really, really well, and I think... I've actually got a couple of a two volume short book on French cinema since World War Two, which goes up to the early 1970s. And Vinay doesn't get a mention in it. Um, everybody else does. Truffaut gets a mention in there. Jacques Demy gets a mention in there. Um, Tati. Everybody else gets a mention in there. But Vinay doesn't because I think he was a popularist. He wasn't making art films he wasn't making high class films he was making entertaining films that any working class guy could enjoy and that in itself is a good thing uh the other really interesting stunt in this film and the the other bug fuck crazy stunt in this film which is i think i mentioned it before on a podcast there's a scene where azad is hiding from zakaria and hides in a dump truck full of rocks and soil and dirt and as he's hiding, the, the cops with their sirens are still around, so he's got to stay in the dump truck, which then backs up to the top of a very large slope and dumps the rocks and the soil off the, the slope and down the hill with Jean-Paul Belmondo in it. And they do close-ups. This is actually Jean-Paul Belmondo falling out of a truck full of rocks, 
running and falling and tumbling down this enormous slope with boulders falling all around him and reaching the bottom, brushing himself off and walking away. It's the, I've got to say, it's the absolute craziest, most wonderful stunt ever done by a major star in a movie. Um, Leave aside the um, Tom Cruise shit in the most recent movie uh, in the Mission Impossible series, hanging off an aeroplane. Yeah, that's that's one thing, but he was cabled in there and, and yeah, there were cables and things holding him. There wasn't the randomness that there is of this particular stunt. I showed it to Sal, I said, Sal, you've got to watch this bit. I'm not going to make you watch the whole film because it's not your kind of stuff. But I want you to watch this one stunt sequence with Jean-Paul Bermondo falling off the tip truck. And she did, and she was blown away by it. She was fucking awed by how crazy and how risky this stunt was. And that's kind of cool, too, because she, she looked at it and went, what? That was her immediate reaction. What? And um, and I explained it, and I explained the context of it, and I explained how big a star Bill Bondo was at the time. And uh, she was you know, kind of wowed by this craziness. This movie is, there's the one way to describe it as crazy. It's insanely good as an entertainment it's insane it doesn't pretend to be more than it is it's self-indulgent there's a few self-indulgent sequences there's the car chase of course there's the restaurant scene there's a scene where Zakaria is interrogating the other accomplices in a place that makes toys again toys are a theme apparently in Vinay's work Um, and, and they're prolonged sequences and they don't move the plot forward a lot, but they do tell you a lot about the character and how fucking insane um, Abel Zakaria, the character, is in this film. There's also a really good climax in the movie in a grain store um, on the docks just as Azad is trying to get to the boat to escape. Um, And he has the emeralds and Zakaria bails him up with a gun in this enormous kind of um, grain storage area. This end sequence of the film is has been um, borrowed by a couple of films since then, one of which was Marathon Man to a certain extent, and the other one is Peter Weir's 1985 film with Harrison Ford Witness. The climax of the these films have enormous similarities and beyond the point of coincidence, but this is the original end. Um, I'm not if you haven't seen those films in a long time and don't remember what I'm talking about, see The Burglars and you'll have a look at this great sequence of comeuppance against the bad guy, which I really like. And um, then we have the great a great sequence right at the end of how does Assad get onto the ship? And he does it in a very interesting way, which involves a whole bunch of caged chickens which I kind of like. Um, again, that, there's that kind of streak of absurdity running through this film, which is really um, a, a lot of fun. And, of course, Belmondo being able to play the clown as much as he plays the romantic lead and as much as he plays um, the action star. And there's no action star quite like him in the history of cinema. There's a really great um, little kind of coda at the end involving chickens which I really like a lot. Um, This movie is crazily entertaining. There is a version out online, if you know where to look for it, which blends the French and the English versions of the movie, because there are some scenes in the French ones that weren't in the English ones. So there are a couple of mashup versions of it online, which um, kind of add to some of the plot points and some of the sequences in this film but even if you don't see that you're still going to see a really great action film very well put together um it keeps your attention all the way through the film you've got likable characters in there you've got unlikable characters in there of course the is a, a nasty piece of shit but omar sharif has such fun playing him we can forgive that and you've got one of the great star stunts of cinema history and one of the great car chases of cinema history as well forget your fast and furious movies and i've seen them recently these ones have a visceral quality about them that the fast and furious stuff lacks fast and furious is over the top and it's kind of fun but these ones kind of show 
the start of that kind of cinema, as indeed does Peter Yates's Bullets 1967. Those kind of car chase things, which, you know, I mean, the car chases in movies date back a long way. There was a good couple of good car chases in Thunder Road, the Robert Mitchum movie in the 1950s as well. You could do a whole podcast, you could do a whole, when I say podcast, a whole series of podcasts is just talking about action film sequences and car chases in films. There are any number of films that have good car chases in them. And these ones in particular do. I mean, you've got the Italian job. You've got any number of other ones. Car chases are almost a, a genre in themselves, one of which Australia does quite well, uh, as George Miller would tell you with the Mad Max films. But um, The Burglars, also known as La Casse, is a lot of fun. Um, really, it's one of those movies that you, know, you get a bit jaded watching certain kinds of films after a while, and then you kind of go back and revisit these ones and go, yeah, this is fun. And movies should be fun, and movies shouldn't take themselves seriously. And it's okay if there's gratuitous nudity in films, because they are of their time. It'd be nice and fair if there was gratuitous male nudity in there as well. I could encompass that in a film. But um, at the time they didn't, and they did instead have attractive women getting their kid off. But I'm going to wrap it up there for um, for talking about these two movies. The Eurocrime films, I'm, I'm going to visit more of them. I mean, I've done two podcasts about them now, so I'm going to go and drift into a different genre for the next Paleo Cinema. But it's something I'm going to come back to because it's just, I keep discovering new things and I keep rediscovering old things that I've forgotten about. And I just have a, a great love and, a, and more than love and affection for this kind of cinema. So I'm going to take another break and when I get back, I've got a little bit of feedback. <laughs> Okay, so we got an email. By the way, that was Spike Jones' version of Laura. 
Uh, written by David Raxon, one of my favourite movie composers. That version is um, a little bit transgressive and, and silly, but I like it as well. Given that we were talking about crazy movies, I thought I'd play that as a tale to the end of it. Um, I got an email from Ken Grimstein, who says, hey, t- Hi, Terry. I'm glad I drove to work today. Got to listen to the first of your DeBrocker, first part of your DeBrocker Gilder episode. I haven't listened for a while and got to dig back in. Sounds great. I want to listen to your Skyfall examination. The DeBrocker stuff made me think maybe because of Mexico, of the opening of the new Bond. I thought the first Day of the Dead sequence was pretty terrific, best part of the film, and I only wonder how it would have been had it been set up by Radiohead version of Sky, by the Radiohead version of Skyfall. Yep, good point, Ken. Uh, that, I, think, I definitely like the Radiohead soundtrack part to Skyfall a lot better than I like the Sam Smith version. I think the Sam Smith version is not particularly a bad song, but I'm not sure it's the right song for that film. Ken goes on. On your point of the strangers appreciating things from other eras, I come across that all the time in the classes I teach at DePaul University in Chicago. I focus on advertising, writing and art direction. And often I refer to ads and writings from the 50s, 60s and 70s. I have to set up the context so they can appreciate the brilliance, but also it does show some disturbing patterns, especially regarding the roles of men and women. But if they suspend that disbelief a bit or go to the place, there is a lot of wisdom and great work to be found there too. Anyhow, I really do enjoy your take on films. I'll start listening more again. I promise I will promise. And we'll look at Patreon as well. Ken, uh, thank you very much for that, Ken. Uh, I appreciate the the feedback. And yes, yeah, Skyfall, I'm, I've made a promise to myself that any time a James Bond movie comes out, I'm going to review it and break out of that format that I've got for paleo cinema because well it's my podcast and i can do it and i also uh enjoy the way james bond films have evolved over the years but yeah that i keep coming up against that the kind of political incorrectness and the gender um balance and, and gender roles in a number of films and i've got to stop kind of apologizing for it maybe and just kind of go with it and say yes this is a movie of its time and having said that maybe that could be the code phrase for the podcast yes this is a movie of its time and that will then tell you that there's going to be stuff there that they wouldn't get away with now and that maybe is a bit dubious so yeah i mean perfectly valid feedback but yes you've got to get into the headspace of the time to a certain extent and with any kind of history i suppose cinema history or any other kind of history you've got to kind of slip out of your own preconceptions while not totally letting go of them and acknowledge that times were different then but anyway thank you very much ken i do appreciate that um now that's about it for this time around thank you as usual to all of you for listening to for all movie fans everywhere and for particularly the people who support the podcast via the patreon campaign um you you guys are great and it does let me indulge myself with movies like the sicilian clan which i can then share with other people i probably would have bought it anyway it just makes it a little easier to do so but uh take care of yourselves uh if you're up north stay warm if you're anywhere where if you know if life isn't treating you right take care of yourself okay you know you'll get through this you just gotta focus on one thing at a time and do it and and look after yourselves anyway enjoy good movies as well a good movie is a tonic it's one of the best antidepressants i know a really fine film uh if you've got the attention to watch it and even if you watch it in little parts it doesn't matter you're still watching good cinema but anyway take care of yourselves i'll be back in two weeks with another paleo cinema podcast next week with the martian drive-in podcast i pretty much know what i'm going to do for that which is a nice change but um anyway i'll be back and uh see you later here are the credits for paleo cinema and martian driving podcast done in the style of movie credits thank you very much to all of the people who've supported the patreon campaign and you can do that too by going to patreon.com slash paleo cinema I'd like to thank Tom, the focus puller, Sarah, the special effects technician, Ian, the caterer, Grant, our technicolor consultant, Claire, the script doctor, Gary, our prop master, Morris, our music director, Jan, our dialect coach, Armin, our key grip, Matt, the rattlesnake wrangler, 
Dylan, the Goat Wrangler. Elaine, the scientific advisor. Julia, the casting director. Chris, the camera operator. Christopher, the gaffer. Miss Jane, our wardrobe mistress. Tansy, our foley artist. Alyssa, our location scout. Mark, our second unit director. Paul, our special makeup effects director. Tammy, our donut wrangler. Tim, our New York unit director. Rabbi Steve, our spiritual advisor. Steve Sullivan, who is our director of monster effects, and you can find his stuff at CushingHorrors.com. And Eric is our set security head. And David Luce is our First Amendment counsel. So thank you very much to all of the people who have supported the podcast financially via the Patreon campaign. 